On this episode, I interviewed Walter Grandes, who is a strength conditioning coach and sports scientist. Our main topic today was growth and maturation. So Walter has a uh, some experience working with youth athletes in particularly, and so we kind of talked about growth and maturation of these athletes. So uh, what is growth and what is maturation? Then we talked about kind of motor skill development and the importance of making sure they have proper movement patterns. We talked about how to incorporate strength training and when to incorporate strength training, depending on um, the maturation of the athlete. We talked about peak height velocity. What is it and why you should pay attention to it? We talked about adolescent awkwardness and how to identify and kind of deal with that. And then we really talked about early versus late maturation of the athlete and kind of how to identify. Same thing, again, how to identify that and then how to kind of um, use that in training to put athletes into groups and how to utilize that best. And then we kind of ended up with a little bit of sports science, uh, kind of talking of why it's important, how it's utilized. But then we kind of broke it down to a really simple because we know a lot of people don't have access to, you know, really, really high tech things. So we, uh, Walter just talked about two really simple things that you can implement into your um, program if you're an athlete, strength conditioning coach or sports coach in order to help kind of monitor the athletes and get the the best out of them. So uh, without further ado, here it is. Welcome to No Week Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, coaches, parents of athletes, or any active person looking to improve their fitness or athletic ability. So please, have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Walter Grandes, who is a strength coach and sports scientist. So today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, growth and maturation, as uh, I was looking at one of his um, presentations that he sent me, and it was, uh, it was a, a, an interesting topic that I thought would be good. And then, depending on time, we'll kind of go into the sports kind of sports science realm as well. So thanks for being on, Walter. If you first just want to kind of um, give a little bit of background on yourself, uh, education-wise, and then previous uh, positions, and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, hey, thanks again, Patrick, for having me on board. Um, yeah, I guess a little bit of background on myself. Um, started this whole journey of uh, strength and conditioning uh, more first, like the last past five years, kind of started off a, in the Exos realm. That was kind of my first ever uh, uh, internship, uh, per se, for strength and conditioning while I was doing, uh, getting my master's, I'm sorry, my bachelor's in kinesiology at Cal State Northridge. Uh, soon a little bit after that, I, I went back to, I graduated from Cal State Northridge, but went back to intern at Cal State Northridge's uh, Division One program, uh, was an intern, and then was lucky enough to get my first actual paid position as an assistant strength coach. So that was actually really cool. I was really excited. I'll be quite honest about I was going to, you know, that's it. I'm going to end my career there at Cal State Northridge. It's kind of nice. But, you know, uh, I, I decided to take a leap. Uh, took a leap of faith, decided to continue to grow. So a lot of people think it's kind of crazy, but Hey, I just want to go back to be an intern again, but interned at a, at a bigger program at university of Southern California. I worked both football Olympic side it was a really great experience, uh, to be in a different realm, uh, bigger school, learned a lot. Uh, and then after that, I became the intern for strength and conditioning at the United States Olympic training center. So decided to move Packed my bags. My girlfriend and I both moved to Colorado for half a year. Great experience. Uh, 
after the initial internship right there, I came back to California, worked with rugby a little bit on the sports science side. That was when I kind of got my exposure a little bit to working with uh, GPS, uh, a little bit of uh, data analytics. And then, yeah, a little bit after that, I, I actually got a job offer from the Philadelphia Phillies, which was a great opportunity to go coach at the Dominican Republic. So, yeah, it was a, it was a little bit scary because I, I never left the country um, foreign country. I mean, but uh, Hey, it, it was a little bit easy for me because I, I, I speak Spanish. I come from a Latin background. So decided, Hey, why not? Like, let me go coach up some kids uh, in a different country who just speak Spanish. So did that for about half a year. And, you know, I bottom of my heart, I always wanted to work in football, soccer. And so I decided to come back to LA. I, I got a job with, uh, the LA galaxy. I was their academy strength and conditioning coach. Um, up until now, just to be quite honest, that COVID-19 uh, has kind of had an impact on the club, on the league. So at the moment, I'm currently not with the club, but I'm also working with U.S. soccer still as their one of their contract sports scientists for the youth national team. And yeah, that's kind of a little bit of my background, per se, with where I've been in strength and conditioning, sports science. And oh, and as I just recently got my master's uh, in kinesiology. So yeah, it's just been quite a joyride for the last past five years on my end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. sounds like a lot of experiences throughout different sports and then different levels and even different countries. So yeah, it sounds like you know, a lot of great information to be able to share. Uh, the the uh, presentation you kind of sent me that uh, I know you've done before for LA Galaxy and then that was kind of um, working with the youth youth sporting team. You kind of got in, into that and reading a lot of research on that we were kind of talking about. So maybe just going into kind of that growth and maturation, do we want to kind of define uh, the differences between growth and maturation and kind of talk a little bit about those and then go into more specifics. Yeah. So, um, I mean, a little bit of the, of the background. So I know, um, this is just for me viewing and seeing, um, in youth sports, at least in the States that, uh, you know, with social media kind of just popping up a lot and just with a lot of parents want want their kids to be involved in sports a lot or year round sports. Uh, they're, they're signing their kids up with actual performance coach, performance coaches at facilities. And it's, uh, it's really great to see that like parents take that kind of initiative, uh, to just start their kids young. I mean, with like, they have the high hopes of having these kids go to a to nice school, a D one program, and then have the ambition to go pro. Uh, so yeah, with, but sadly I feel that like, assessing growth and maturation isn't really big in the States, at least from what I'm seeing a lot. I know it's big and, and, you know, if we go across the pond within the UK or even where you're at in Australia, it's, it's big, um, assessing growth, and maturation, peak height velocity at that age is it's crucial. I'm not seeing it a lot in the States or at least again, like from what I see. So yeah, kind of working with the galaxy, um, I took it upon myself to actually reevaluate and how we saw growth and maturation with the club. So just assessing, you know, that point where these kids are most critical when they're growing. Um, and yeah, just, yeah. So it did a lot of kind of cool stuff on that end for the whole sports science stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, like, that's the thing with sports science too, is kind of a lot, as you're saying, it's a lot bigger, I feel like in the UK and Australia. Um, and then, yeah, with the the growth and maturation that they're not doing that quite a bit in the states yet. 
Um, and so I kind of, yeah, I kind of jumped the gun without going into the background on it, but, um, oh, yeah. yeah, so I guess Sorry. now then, now then, <laughs> no, no problem. Uh, and then now then if you just kind of want to jump into that, uh, maybe talking about the differences kind of between, or, uh, the definition and differences between that growth and then the maturation. Yeah. So the difference between, uh, growth and maturation. So maturation is like the actual process and growth is the, it's like a multifactorial process. Which, I mean, it can be towards like like a child's hyperplasia, hypertrophy, or accretion. But also, um, it's also cognitive and social factors. So it's, yeah, it's like the process of growing, but uh, the maturation part is the actual, like, yeah, practice of, of maturing um, through different, through uh, time and, and tempo with like timing referring uh, to the when the maturation begins and then tempo with like the progression of maturation. Okay. Um, and then is there anything specifically wise? So like, so you say kind of growth is more like the biological process of everything and then maturation is, is kind of the yeah. mental side and then just the, um, I guess the coordination and more of the, I, that type of stuff. Yeah. I, I would, I would say maturation is more like the timetable and then the growth side is the more the biological side. Uh, so I guess for the, for, uh, maturation wise, that's going to be the main focus and cause obviously you're not going to be able to fix the, the growth, I mean, you can't really do anything about growth. Yeah. Like that's just going to be, um, the bi- biological process is what happens with them. So for kind of the maturation side and trying to get them as ready for sport as possible, yeah. um, what, what are some main things you like to focus on with that? Oh, the biggest thing for me is movement. Like this is the time to get these kids to move right, to move better. Um, so, uh, that's, I've always been a firm believer and and my philosophy is like with a lot of my programming on the SNC side that is movement is medicine. So like we we just got to get better movers. Like it's, there's no, there's no way to sugarcoat it. It's just like a lot of people think that it's like, there's more to it, but like the end of the day, just, we, I just, I keep it simple. Just keep, make these kids move better in the long run. It's gonna, it's going to improve the performance. It's going to carry over. So that way, when they're like, when they're in that later stage, when they're outside of um, growing, when they're, when they're like, when they're 17, 18, they're not going to, they're going to move better because they're not going to be focusing on stuff that should have been focused on when they were like in 12, 13. So yeah, if, if anything, that's like the biggest thing for me. And, but like also just assessing, assessing the, um, the maturation. That's like, I know before, I didn't really have the tools uh, to do it, to do so. But like, you know, with, I mean, then I thought to myself, you know, there it's, it's easy. You just, we just have to weigh these kids and we just have to, we have to measure their height like uh, every quarter. So if anything, yeah, that's just, that's kind of the case. And then for, for that kind of um, helping movement wise, do you have anything specific that you, uh, some examples or uh, different things you like to focus on when, when working on movement? Because yeah. I know, like I said, the general principle, yeah, definitely makes sense. Um, do you just want to give some examples on how um, you like to do that with your kids? Yeah. So I'm a big firm believer uh, with what, you know, keeping it simple and what, well, there's a strength coach that I've kind of like followed when I first started this path and his name is Dan John. So Dan John is very big on, hey, push, pull, squat you know, hinge, uh, carry. And my favorite is crawl. Cause like, I, I, I think everybody should learn how to crawl like properly. So uh, like with some of the program programmings that I have done with galaxy, it's just actually teaching these kids how to crawl, like bear crawl, how to crab walk and just getting them to just play around, move around and just how to have them kind of figure out where they're at. 
uh, how, on when they when they move. So I pretty much base my programs around that. Mm-hmm. Um, is there and then with the motor skill development, obviously um, that's going to be kind of your main focus first, I guess would you say, and then after that you kind of move on to the other ones. Is that kind of yeah. how it would go? So uh, usually uh, within the ages of I want to say usually up to up until twelve to 13 i'm very big on just focusing on on coordination um like i said just the whole push pull uh, squat hinge uh, a lot of coordination stuff and then as they kind of progress uh and, and the, they're getting older like 13 and 14 i'm i'm teaching these kids how to hey let's let's how to let's let's how let's run better let's sprint better uh let's jump let's learn how to like land properly because i think at least for me, that's kind of my focus. Because at the same time, when I'm working with kids that are younger, I do want them to have fun. I want them to explore other sports, even though if they're specializing in soccer. Oh, I mean, in this case, so they're specializing in soccer. I do want them to play around with other sports. So, um, yeah. So, and then, yeah, like I said, so as they progress, get older, 13, 14, we, I, we get a little bit more into the sports supporting aspect uh of of soccer and then as you know they get older and then we kind of then switch on to more sports specificity um on that side so that's kind of yeah just doing actual like football specific drills like rondos uh conditioning drills uh because you know their bodies are able to adapt a little bit more at that age Mm-hmm. So working on yeah just the movement patterns like you talked about before with from Dan's Johns like can that squat push pull hinge and then kind of moving on to um just even like specifics of the running mechanics and so on um and then kind of once you get the movement down would you say you kind of progress to more of that i guess strength and loading up from there and then if that's the case how would you kind of go from there no no yeah definitely uh well i know when i was with the 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 academy i mean uh, i still kept it simple with a lot of their their loading stuff because a lot of these kids this is their first time ever touching or being in the weight room so and there's a little bit of a stigma in, in soccer that like soccer players don't like to lift weights so uh, you know i, I don't want to scare these kids so again i try to make the gym a little bit fun for them i still keep it simple i'll be quite honest even if i'm working with elite athletes i i'm i'm still keeping it simple with the push pull hinge um I'm a firm believer what makes the gym, the SNC side more exciting is just the communication, the buy-in, the coaching, just making that part enjoyable. And for me, it's, it's no brainer. It's, it's a go-to like, you don't, like I said, you don't have to get too creative and fancy. Uh, but I'll admit, Hey, if an athlete wants a cookie, like if these kids want to like bicep curl, I'm okay with it, but I won't solely focus my whole program on bicep curling. But at the end when they go, Hey coach, like, could we, uh, can we get some bicep curls in? I'm like, you know, yeah, let's do that. But let's master this squat really well. Hey, if it looks good, yeah, man, uh, we can we can throw in some little buys and tries for the girls. <laughs> um, and when uh, so so let's say someone, well, I guess in general, what's what's kind of the age in general that you're working with um, with these two? And I know it's going to differ- differentiate a little bit depending on their past history. But in general, when's that? Um, really focusing on that movement and then when is it like okay I'm probably going to start shifting a little bit more towards like a good strength program for you age-wise yeah age-wise well I mean I'll be honest so where every facility I've been at uh, there has been limitations of 
when I can have these kids in the weight room. Um, and that's solely because just where these kids are at, uh, in terms of the day. So by that, I mean like, so with our 13s to the 15s, uh, they're still in school. So, Mm -hmm. uh, they're in school all day and then they come in at in the evenings and at night. So then that's kind of when I, I will do more body weight stuff, which is like teaching again, teaching these kids how to, you know, lunge properly. I always start off with actually a split squat variation before we make it dynamic into a lunge. And again, like into a hinge, uh, we do some like trunk exercises. Like I'm a, I'm a big fan of doing anti-rotation, uh, anti-extension exercises, so again, it's just, there's just a limitation, but you know, if, if I had them earlier, by all means, we can go into the weight room and we can actually start picking up some weights. I'm not, I mean, of course I'm not loading these kids like crazy, but just getting them comfortable to the idea that, Hey, one day you're going to be in this weight room and this is where we're going to, uh, it's going to really help. Like, you know, you guys produce results on the field. So but again, when, when you have the older kids, like, yeah, like the 17s and 19s, they're in the weight room all the time. Mm -hmm. And then those younger ones that you're just the patterns, what age ranges yeah. are those, would you say? Yeah, exactly. So with the younger ones, like, I mean, for the 12s to the 13s, again, still working on patterns and, and coordination. 14, uh, still. 15, ideally, I would like to introduce them now into the weight room. I actually start loading them. But again, it's just... Depends where you're at and where the where the constraints you're at with either organization or club. I mean, you got to do what you you got to do. I mean, but you know, when I was with the Galaxy, we had TRXs. We we did have a couple of barbells, um, and plates. But again, like just it's just limitations of like facility use, just because of the timing of the day. But ideally, I would like to have start the 14 and 15 year olds start loading them up, at least getting them comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you say? Because I mean, some, a lot of people aren't going to have, you know, a very well put together strength and conditioning program. Um, or a lot of kids, you know, just growing up, they don't have that within the schools or whatever system they came through. Mm -hmm. So if a player is that 17, 8 year old, 17, 18 year old that literally hasn't had any experience in the weight room, are you, you're still going to probably start them with that yeah. movement patterns where you would if you had a 12 to 13 year old that you, um, you know, had throughout his whole entire career, um, you're still starting him with that, with that, correct? So, I mean, it's not just yeah. like if you're, if you're, it's not necessarily that, um, age necessarily. It's more, again, that maturation of, you know, this is how they're actually at skill wise. It's not really, you're 17. So that automatically means yeah. you're going into lifting. It, exactly. Um, oh, and I forgot to mention, um, I'm also a big fan of tempo works. So, like doing isometrics, uh, eccentrics. So just body weight. Again, like I, I like to teach that at a between like the 14 and 15 age again, cause like limitation wise, but I feel you can kind of get some kind of results when you're working on that. If anything, like, you know, doing remote training now has taught me to be really creative on eccentrics and isometrics and uh, concentrics, like at home workouts. Cause I mean, again, a lot of these kids don't have access to like, I mean, a dumbbell. So you got to get creative with what you have in the house. Mm hmm. And then you mentioned a little bit before about peak height velocity. Is that kind of one way you help assess this growth and maturation process? Or do you just want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, with, with the people don't really know what uh, peak height velocity is. I mean, in, in Lane's terms, it's, it's the point where like, you know, growth spurt is at, at an all time high with, with the child. So with girls, it happens a little bit earlier with boys. It tends to be between, you know, the 13 to 14 age. So that's the point where I, uh, 
we got to be careful on how much volume we're giving, you know, on the training side of their sport, as well as, in, I mean, everywhere else, because that's kind of, you know, their limbs are growing. Um, and a lot of times these kids just, they, they feel uncomfortable. Um, they start kind of feeling like achy. So we just got to be careful. So a great way for me to assess that is just now, by then, it's just, of course, measuring their height, their weight, and kind of finding out where they're going to start, you know, ending their growth spurt. Mm-hmm. So is that how often kind of do you assess that? And then is it kind of determined on, is there a general amount of, if you're increasing, you know, this much by this time, then it's, you're kind of more in that range or something along those lines? Yeah. So, I mean, when I was in the Academy, I mean, we just started measuring them. Uh, I mean, as soon as they, they entered the Academy with, when you know, when they were 12 and 13s, uh, Ideally, it's every quarter is a good time to measure. I know some coaches that I've spoke to, they like to do it at least six to eight times a year. Um, but, you know, I'm fine with doing them every quarter. We just start seeing them where they're at. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you kind of uh, focus on other than that height and weight for assessing growth and maturation? Or are those kind of the two main ones that um, you like to use? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, height, I, I, for me, at least, I believe that height is a little bit easier for me to do. So uh, there's two methods to do that. Uh, there's the, the maturity offset method, which is, uh, I'm sure you might have seen this. It's where you, you take a child sitting and, and standing high and you kind of compare it from there. Um, but there's also the Kamish Roche method, which is, which is the one that I use because I feel like it's a little bit more reliable and easier to do where it's I just get the, the kids height and their weight and I find the parents initial height. And then with the formula that I have on 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 file, I'm able to kind of predict uh, the point where they're uh, they're going to hit their their growth spurt or um, where they're at on their peak height velocity. So that's kind of my go to of finding where they're at. But I'm also still assessing how well they move like i i still do the fms i mean i don't do it do it fully but when they're in that peak height velocity then that's kind of when i just start measuring how well they move uh seeing how their overhead squat is how how well their push-up is um just to yeah just to kind of assess that and see if they're kind of auto the adolescent awkwardness is kicking in for them not all kids go through that though mm-hmm. and so when so when you do the the growth maturation and the, all these assessments, uh, mm. so that's just going to be obviously like you talked about if they're in that kind of uh, peak peak high velocity and kind of that main point of it, um, you're just going to want to make sure you're you're cognizant of that with volume wise with how much they are lifting and how. Yeah. Is there anything else you uh, you use this for, um, or is it just is it mainly for that, or is there other things you like to use it for as well? Yeah. So um, for on my end for the talent development. Uh, that's what I use it for. Uh, it's very beneficial for, for coaches as well for talent ID. So, I mean, on that side, I mean, you know, we, we want to see how well we want to be patient with the kids and they're growing. Cause again, I'm pretty sure this is common from what you see, at least in soccer and football, like you get that little kid who's like a, a little squirt and he's just small versus the kid who's like, Oh my God, that kid's 14. Like, so again, so it's very important for us to kind of measure so then that way we're not like missing any talent on that side for the coaching side we're not having selection bias we're not having retention bias so uh it's very beneficial for the coaching side not just for me from the snc side or our even for the medical side 
Mm-hmm. You touched on uh, ad- adolescent awkward- awkwardness. If you want to kind of kind of explain what that is and how you uh, like to identify and work around or work with that, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's funny uh, when you see a kid with adolescent awkwardness. It's it's like comparing them to Bambi as they're walking, like or a baby giraffe on like roller skates. They just they look awkward, and it's uh, it's funny to see sometimes. But you're like you're kind of baffled by it, like. What's going on? Like, hey, when you were like a year, like a year ago, you weren't like that. But a lot of these kids, that's what happens when you're in that peak height velocity and then that point of growth spurt when they're growing these new limbs. They're just, they're trying to get accustomed to these new limbs. And so they just look funny. Like I had this, I worked with one, this one kid in the academy, uh, just for the life of him, he could not balance on a split lunge. Like as soon as he got into a split lunge, he was just all over the place and, I was just like, man, why is that? And so I'm like, oh, yeah, you're you're like you're 14. I assess his growth and maturation. Like, you're right there. You're at that point where like you're you're growing. And uh, again, like an, uh, a little thing that a lot of key, these kids face when when they're going through adolescent awkwardness is like a little bit of that Oshkut slaughters, the knee pain, or the receiver's disease a little bit on the on the on the foot and the um, on the back of the of the foot. So. Yeah, so it's it's an interesting time, but so a lot of times when, for me, it's just again focusing on movement patterns. Like, it's it's kind of like a step backwards when they're in that phase of adolescent awkwardness. But again, it's just reinforcing them how to move. Like, hey, let's let's continue how to squat, lunge, and hinge better. Mm-hmm. When when uh, when they do, if they do go through this, or do you say you sometimes even have to kind of. Um regress and and go through the relearning the movements again and then then load back up yeah yeah oh yeah definitely yeah. again yeah like it's just teaching them re- yeah relearn the movement patterns i know it can be a little bit frustrating especially we, uh when you're working with kids who like again if they're like they're, they're a lot smaller than the other boys that are a little bit bigger i mean again they're um they get a little bit frustrated. I know I've had that experience working with kids like just, Hey, we got to learn how to, how to uh, hinge better. And then they get, again, they get frustrated because like, why, why? Like we do this all the time. Like, well, Hey, like, again, it's, it's all about the, about the buy-in and just once you have that buy-in, I mean, these, these kids are all in, I mean, it can be frustrating and I can see that, but I mean, at the end of the day, they, they have their full trust on me that I'm here to facilitate their growth. And maybe we talk a little bit quickly about the importance of, I know we touched a little bit on it, of how it can, you know, an increase, it, it will help your performance later on. And, um, but is there any, you know, talk about any other benefits of just being able to make sure you can, you know, move better, not only throughout your lifts, so then you can load up more and so on, um, decrease injury risk. Um, but even like moving in general, then kind of can translate to any, the playing field and stuff like that. I was like, can you repeat that again? Yeah, so for um, when someone, uh, when you're explaining some of the importances of being able to move, you know, better, yeah. I know you touched on a little bit beforehand um, with being able to, uh, you know, just to have that kind of better better performance and stuff. But is there any anything else wise that you like to explain to these kids about, like, look, if by moving better, you're able to do this, which then you can do this, yeah. um, to kind of get that buy-in? Uh, I mean, yeah, not, I mean, not necessarily. Uh, else, I mean, if anything. Uh, yeah, like it's just for me, I'm all about them moving better, and then I've never really faced any any other issue by then. I just I know a lot of these kids are eager to like start doing the what the what the older kids are doing, 
a little bit more of the I think you could say more of the fun stuff, the football specific drills. But again, uh, mm-hmm. it's all about having that buy-in with these kids. Like if I show them that how much I truly do care, um, yeah, like I mean they're they're all in. I mean you'll be surprised. It's it's kind of funny that like when I'm working with the older kids, they're in that phase, that teenager phase, where like uh yeah life uh like. I got this. Don't worry. Whereas like, and, and it's funny, but when I'm working with the 13 year olds, they're like, Hey coach, look what I can do. Look what I can do. Like, look, they're more enthusiastic. And so, which is funny. Um, by all means, I, I would pick the younger group, the younger kids. Cause they seem to care uh, a lot mm-hmm. more. They're like, they're more enthusiastic. Yep. You, you, uh, you touched on a little bit beforehand with the, um, kind of that early versus late maturation, uh, do you, do you want to, could you kind of go into that a little bit more, maybe, um, kind of the differences between the two and then yeah. um, how you kind of identify that and so on? Yeah. So, I mean, a little bit of the, so the early maturing cast characteristics are like, again, those are the kids you put two and two together. You're, you know, if you're working within at least the Academy with the 14 year olds, you'll see a kid who's just like, again, you question like, dude, is this kid 14? He looks like he's like 18. Like, and again, you'll get like the, the you know, the squirts, the little kids who are a little bit smaller. So, I mean, of course with the big kids they they look already more physically developed. Well, they're, they're taller, they weigh heavier. They're just superior all over in strength, um, uh, speed and agility. But again, where it's like the little kids, like, I mean, they're, they're a little bit slow. They haven't hit their peak height velocity. They're a little bit more reserved and shy. You see that a lot, at least from what I've seen in soccer. So, um, again, with these, with these kids that uh, matured earlier, they're going to stand out more in games. They're going to spark everyone's interest, but you can't sleep on the little kids because, I mean, like these little kids, I mean, they're going to have to adapt in a different way. They like they, you know, they, yeah, they fly under the, the radar, but they, they start forming this tenacity to compete. So, I mean, the biggest example I give to parents, uh, like when they're, when they're worried about their kid, like, Hey, my kid's small. When is he going to grow? My, Hey, look at Leon, Lionel Messi. Like he was small, but look, he's one of the best players in the world. It's just, it just takes time. Um, for me, uh, the big the issue is that the earlier matures will tend to slack off, and I've seen that a lot. I've worked a couple of camps for U.S. Soccer, some ID camps where we, you know, you, you see these kids that are they stand out more because they're big and they already got like they already look pretty jacked for like 15 year olds. But again, they like they get lazy. They they think they they know everybody because like, hey look because they're the ones that stand out more. So if anything, those kids need the more motivation. They need to they need to be motivated more to like, Hey, don't let your physical prowess to dictate your, um, your ability to play the game. So those kids are a little bit more interesting to work with, even though like a lot of people would think like, Oh yeah, just, I don't got to worry about this kid. He's, he's already adapted. Well, I'm like, no, we can't sleep on these kids either. Yeah. That's a good point of looking at kind of the two differences and making sure you kind of target them in different ways. Uh, I guess, is there any main focuses other than those two that you'd like that you really like to hit home with both these, maybe um, from either a coaching standpoint or just from a mental or uh, okay, actual programming standpoint with the kind of the early versus late um, matures? Yeah. So um, I know I've done this in the past a little bit, but like it was just by grouping the kids by, uh, 
by their maturation. So a little bit of biobanding. So again, with biobanding, we're just grouping the kids by their um, instead of chron chronological order, we do it by the, you know by their biology like on on their growth status. So pairing a kid who is like you know as you know with a, a late mature uh, late mature with another late mature. Um, so that way, you know, it's easier for me to program. So one, a kid doesn't feel intimidated that like he's, yeah, this kid's we're, we're the same age, but like he can do more because his body can, can, uh, can handle more stress and load. So I try to separate that. It's easier for me and just, it gives the kids confidence. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a little bit on my end. So at least on the SNC side, um, I know it's, it's starting to grow a little bit, at least in U.S. soccer, with biobanding, like having them group their sessions, but like that. Um, I still, I, I want to say it's not really fully adapted yet, but it's getting there. So um, hopefully, it kind of like it, it, it goes that way, in, in at least in the next couple of months or years. Yeah, let's say, let's say, um, here's kind of a question: if if you have someone that is not maturing as quickly let's say so they're they're older but they're not maturing as quickly so you put them in that kind of uh, less matured yeah. group i guess but they still have let's say they have the really good movement patterns and stuff like that yeah. with um so this is i guess more in the weight room setting more than well i guess you could do it on the field as well yeah. um what do you see what do, are you still going to put them in that younger group even if they're kind of let's say physically um not there but their motor patterns and all the movement patterns are really good is it how do you kind of work around that or is it just kind of the call specifically different to the player mm -hmm. you know i'll be quite honest like i've never actually had that opportunity to do so um uh like where that kid is just proficiently well and yet he's still a lot smaller um you know i i would you know leave it up to i mean the kid and myself, I would actually challenge him to be with with the older kids. Um, just so, I mean, he has the confidence. Why not? Of course, I would keep an eye on him. Um, but yeah, I've never actually had that opportunity. But, but you know, thinking back, would I do it? Yeah, I would. Just to give him kind of a little bit of a confidence boost. Like, again, like, what I'm, what's not, it's not so much different a lot on the programming. Yeah, it, it kind of is. But like, I'm still like, hey, you know, you're a late, you're early mature. Um, you're in that group. Kids are bigger, bulker. That I'm not gonna like load them like crazy. We're just, ch I'm just, if anything, I'm just challenging them um, on the movement patterns differently. So, I would say the younger kids, like we're working on more um, split holds, whereas the older kids, yeah, let's make them a little bit more dynamic. It just, I, I'm a big believer in just periodizing by, um, by progression of complexity of, like, of exercises. Okay. What, so for, let's say if you have, um, there are, there are two questions here. One of them is going to be, wh what would you say? So if you're talking to an athlete and an athlete that uh, is older, but isn't maturing as fast, how do you, um, convince him or what do you say to him to make it that, uh, him, he understands that it's best for him yeah. to kind of stay in the other group and not go to the, uh, yeah. the more mature group or the, I guess technically it'd be kind of I, looked at as like the more elite you know, I'm very honest with my athletes. I ha I always have a very straightforward conversation with them. Of course, like I, it's just the way you approach them. Um, like I said, I, I care about a lot of these kids that I work with, so it's just having an honest conversation with them, just like having them trust me. Like I said, so buy-in is very important. Um, I I never had that conversation with a kid, but I've had it with parents. So. Um, some parents, again, you know, they're worried like, Hey, like, should my son stay or go up? So again, just 
so it kind of goes both ways just having that conversation with the kids and the parents haven't had it yet with the kid where like he's he's like i don't know or why am i back but i've had it with the parents uh i mean for me at least the parents are a little bit easier to talk to from my experience because of course whatever the mom and dad says kid's gonna do it regardless so i haven't had that issue yet but yeah just but even then if if it came if it came to it it's just about having an honors conversation with these kids like I feel like I owe it to them. Like I'm not gonna, I'm 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 not gonna like lie to them. I'm I'm always gonna be honest yep. with them. Mm-hmm. And then I guess another one would be if if it's kind of the same situation, but if an older athlete, if it, or the more mature athlete, sorry, started that kind of growth spurt, yeah. and then he was moving well and beforehand, but then you're gonna have to be like, all right, sorry, like we're gonna have to kind of tone it back a little bit and re get the movement patterns right. And then load up on weight. Is there? Have you had that conversation, or is there anything different that you go about that um, compared to the last one? Uh, with the older ones, um, you know, the, the they have a little bit more bite back to them. They're a little bit older. They'll get they'll get pissed that they have to get like regressed. Um, it's funny. I, I just you know, I'm again like having honest conversations with them, like because I, I when I do like I they these kids know that I care. And then, like, I told him the only reason why I'm doing this is just because I care and I care about you being, like, at least a perfectionist on moving better. So, yeah, there's a little bit of bite back to it. But, again, like, I, I, I have the same honest conversations with them. Maybe a little bit more playful. Like, I can joke around with them uh, just because they like a little bit of the banter when they're a little bit mm-hmm. older. But, yeah, it's just almost the same. Mm-hmm. I guess would you say uh, is there any main points you kind of want to – go off on with uh, this growth and maturation or anything you think we missed um, that you think is really important uh, before I can maybe shift towards a little bit more sports science stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, f- I feel like we kind of t- t- like touch bases a lot on it, but like, I mean, the biggest thing, at least for me, again, just I can't stress enough that like during that early age, like let's just get them to move better. Let's get them to be uh to coordinate better, just having them explore their bodies through different uh, planes of motion, uh, just having them crawl. Uh, like I'm a, again, a big firm believer on that. But again, let's, I feel that like, again, we have to assess these kids to see where they're at. Um, and it doesn't take that much time. A lot of people like Harper that like, Oh, it's going to take us time. Like, no, look, we, all we have to do it is just once every quarter, like, like that's yeah. it. And it, 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 it's, it's good for them and it's good for the organization you work with. I mean, that way, again, we're not whole, having any selection biased. We're not retaining these kids uh, in a bad way. So, and then again, it's just, we're taking care of them, their, their health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a definitely a good summary. And I, I, so I think the big point, I think it, as you were saying, it's, it is getting bigger, kind of maybe not just going by age, but kind of more how they are kind of maturing um, biologically. Yeah. Uh, I guess for, for sports science, just starting off with, because I know it's not uh, massively big, uh, in the, or it's starting to get bigger in the U.S., um, yeah. but I definitely more in the U.K. and uh, Australia. I guess in general, just what's your kind of definition of sports science and the importance of sports science? Yeah, um, like it said, so I know it's big in, in Australia. It's, I know it's big in the UK. It's starting to grow some traction um, in the States. Um, again, I feel like a lot of people truly don't understand the definition. They have their, their, their either, they have the wrong definition or they just, they just, they don't. But at least for me, from my best way to explain it, it's sports science is about using various tools and texts along with, you know, the coaches, um, 
expert intuition um, to better understand the what and the why behind what we do in training and recovery. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much the simplest way I can I, I can explain it. And I feel like yeah, it's it's kind of made it a lot of, a lot easier for a lot of coaches to understand why I do a lot of the sports science, why I I uh, I gather data for them. Mm. Yep. So, so definitely, you're saying for communication wise, it's, it's one of the yeah. big benefits. Uh, and then, not only for coaches, but probably for athletes. Well, would you say that it, you've it's helped you a lot with kind of make put things more into perspective for athletes of why you're doing certain things? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, first and foremost, I mean, I I'm a coach first before like the actual scientist. So buy-in is incredibly crucial. So, like if I'm able to share the data with, uh, which I always do with the athletes, I mean, they can understand where they're at and it holds them accountable. If anything, it holds me accountable, holds the coaches accountable. So yeah, like first and foremost, I mean, I have to be able to explain it well to them. Uh, have again, going back into that buy-in because if you're not able to buy in and they'll just like not care a lot about it, they don't understand it fully, which is again, um, I felt that was a lot of, uh, tug of war when i worked in baseball like uh i feel like baseball's kind of slowly catching up with sports science stuff but like they just kind of like oh we don't need it we don't care (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and then for could you give us maybe a couple examples of things that you've used in the past um just not like super in-depth but just like uh certain different tech that you've used in the past uh and reasons why you've used it just maybe three or four examples of those that ones that you found the most beneficial yeah so I want to say the most beneficial one. It's the simplest one, and that's just a simple questionnaire. I mean, a lot of people think like, "Oh, that's sports science," but it's not tech. Well, well, it's you're 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 monitoring their 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 wellness. Um, you're just doing a simple subjective uh, data collection. So that to me is boom, sports science. Again, a lot of people think sports science is going to be what you see on ESPN, like all that crazy tech stuff. Which hey, it is. But again, there's other avenues of it. Um, I've used that in the past. I've used, of course, GPSs. I used uh, USG, which is the urine-specific gravity, where you measure hydration testing for the athletes. I love that because I think that's a lot better than, you know, telling an athlete, like, hey, what color is your pee? Like, are you hydrated? Having that conversation with them. You can actually see it, measure it. Um, I used a little bit of, um, excuse me, of uh, force plates. Uh, when I was at the Olympic Training Center, we used that a lot for to kind of assess uh, like fatigue. Um, a little bit of BFR, not too much. Um, I know that's more, at least from what I've seen on my end on the rehab side, but I haven't really used it for actual training. Um, player tech, which is, a, uh, I'm sorry, not player tech, player maker. That's sorry for that, which is a fancy, to me, a fancy little pedometer that the soccer players wear around their boots that kind of measure their, their tech, the technical side, but as well, it helps measure the distance covered. Um, I used a little bit of Norboard in the past. Um, not too much, but yeah, oh, so that's kind of along the lines of all the, the techs I've used. Oh, I mean, if, the opto jump or like a jump mat. So yeah, okay. those are kind of like the tools and techs I've used. Yeah. And definitely kind of an array of them with being at, at higher levels obviously the more higher the higher level you get probably the more tech and the more yeah. money you're gonna have in your budget to do that stuff but i think a good point that you made was the questionnaires for one you did which literally costs zero money to do you just have paper and pen or however you want to do it yeah um do you want to talk a little bit about uh kind of the questions you used in there and how you used it to to work best and because i feel like i think this one 
Um, you said it's one of your, you know, your favorites to do, and also it's definitely the easiest to incorporate for either players to do for themselves or coaches. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, the main ones is like how sore they are. I, that's kind of like the key thing that I've always asked them in the question. Hey, how sore you are? The big one. How'd you sleep? How many hours of sleep did you get? Because I feel like many athletes don't get enough hours, many hours of sleep. Um, let's see. I do. I mean, I asked them on the hydration side. Um, let's see. You know, like kind of like their mental well-being. Where are you at mentally? I always like to know that for the athlete. I feel like a lot of people don't actually ask that question to their to the athletes on their questionnaires. Uh, yes, fatigue or your energy. Um, yeah, I usually keep it within those realms. I keep it simple. I'll admit when I first started doing this, at least in the college realm, I would ask the athletes every day, which, Hey, it's beneficial. It's good for me. But like at the end of the day, I mean, you're going to, if you, you put yourself in the athlete's shoes, although they're going to be like, you're going to ask me again, again, again. So, you know, I, I kind of played around what days I would ask them or do the questionnaires. And at least in the soccer realm, I'd always ask the day before a game or, like a, a re-entry day so which is usually like on a monday and possibly on a wednesday so at least three times a week but yeah three times in a week but yeah before i would do it every day and like i would even do it on match day which uh that's kind of embarrassing for me to admit because you know athletes in the, in the game mode they're in the zone and then like the last thing they want to do is, is answer you all your all your questions so yeah there's definitely a learning experience from that end yeah what uh so if, if an athlete was going to do this kind of by themselves or if, if a coach is going to implement this, um, you, you recommend that kind of three times a week then and then kind of leave it to maybe four or five questions and the ones you stated are probably, you think, the most important. And then obviously, yeah. uh, you, you know, you're going to make sure to have a conversation with them afterwards as well um, and not just go yeah. from the numbers. But it's a oh, pretty yeah. good way to identify, would you say, um, so, you know, some things up. Yeah, that's, that's kind of um – that's kind of what I actually, what I do now that I mentioned it. Like, so yeah, I usually keep it now within the, you know, at least within the three days. And I always have daily conversations with them. So it's not just like, I'm just like, Hey, ask, I'm asking you now. And then that's it. It's just, again, like a lot of this stuff is going back to the buy-in, just having that yeah honest conversation with them. Um, I do it all the time. Sometimes. So like, just again, the way the athlete don't, doesn't see you as just, Oh, you're just here to collect data. Like, like you're not here to like, you know, just to talk to me. So yeah. So again, just always having that conversation with them. Is there, is there anything that you use uh, that's again, cause I know we could talk, get super into the tech stuff, but probably don't have enough time for that. But yeah. is there, is there anything that you use that, um, cause GPS and all that stuff is going to be a whole, it would be, could be a whole nother episode, but oh yeah, uh, for that isn't, is expensive um, or is more practical for just the athlete or a coach that's not at that high level that has thousands of dollars in their budget to implement. Yeah. Other than, like another example, like a questionnaire um, that you use that's sort of a sports science or term, just yeah, a, some the, sort of monitoring. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, no, yeah, definitely. I forgot to mention when the simple RPE scale, like the one through 10 of uh, just telling them, Hey, how hard that was. And so usually uh, what you can do is a session RPE, which is you, you get your RPE and then you times it by the by the session. And then that would kind of give you like an arbitrary load number. Um, you know, it, that's the best alternative. I mean, it's it seems to 
you know, it seems to work. Like, uh, I mean, yes, of course, if you had like the, the tech, like the GPS, by all means like that, I would take that route. But even then I would still ask for, um, the athlete's subjective rating on how they felt on, on a session. So that's e- the easiest way you can do it. And then that way you can monitor their load by the week and then by the month. Um, but again, like kind of going back to like, I've been in that situation where I've asked the athlete every day. Um, and it's just, they're going to give me like the straight, Oh, that felt like an eight. And then you kind of go like eight, 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 you go and you look back at your questionnaire. I'm like, they've said eight for the last past three weeks. So something's wrong. So it's either they don't give a crap about the questionnaire and just, again, that's kind of where I've like learned to dial it down. Like I find the right days, which are crucial and just having that honest conversation with them. So that way they can actually give me a better accurate rating. But yeah, that's the easiest alternative. Like if you don't have, um, all that, all the crazy tech. And this is, I know this is going to be kind of a hard question, uh, to answer. It's just really going to be dependent on, you know, the season and a lot of other factors, but in general, how do you, how do you use that? You know, how do you say, okay, so someone is more fatigued one day or that session was a lot harder than you thought it was. Um, what is, is there kind of some general principles that you use to kind of go about, um, how you use that data? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, at least, um, for an in season, it's, uh, for me, it's like the, cause when, I, before I had left, uh, in my previous club, I was more in season with the team. So the data was very useful for us. Cause you know, we're not like running these, these, these athletes to the ground. So like, obviously you don't want a high load on a Monday on a reentry day. So collectively, I know using the data, like it should give us a window that like, Hey, like, I don't, if, I, if I'm just going to spit out a number, like the load of today should be, a, should have been about like a 300 or 400. If we're doing session RPEs, like it should have been low. So if we're starting to get high numbers on that day, then we're like, okay, it's either the session was really hard or our athlete was really like, you know, sore and fatigued and he didn't recover well over the weekend. So then that's kind of when, you know, you got to have a conversation with that athlete like afterwards. Um, but yeah, that's, that's only if you, if you see that kind of outlier, but if you see collectively, everybody reported that I'm like, okay, we should start looking uh, at the session. But again, like at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm the support staff, I'm the technical staff, like the coach makes the calls. So again, you got to have a good like relationship with the coach to kind of help him, uh, make the right decisions. Um, cause I mean, I feel like every every young SNC coach or sports scientist has like, they started off where like, Hey, I, I know it all. I know it better. And I know what I, sh- what's right for the team. But at the end of the day, you, you need to take, you need to take a seat back, take a step back and just like, and realize that, Hey, you're a support staff. Like, like know your place. I mean, that's again, you got to have great relationship with the coaches. So that way you guys can make the right decisions for your athletes. Yeah. I think, I think that's a great point with, with the coach and the player because if you um like just you can present the data to both of them probably and so if it's in season obviously and the coach is in charge of practices and stuff then he's going to be obviously the one that's going to be you know if you have a good relationship with him and can go go about there then maybe he can be like okay maybe i do need to tone back practice or you know take it back a little bit or um if it's the player's standpoint from it and he's you know in an off season or something and he's he's dying or so or or even in season and and he's dying and you know he needs to have a conversation with the coach you know and that's another good way to um let him take it upon himself to Mm -hmm. go about that as well um so yeah i think those are those are all great points especially for the the as much sports science as you can do that's not thousands of dollars 
Oh, um, definitely. Is, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, yeah. I was just, I, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, no, it's yeah, definitely. And uh, a little tidbit that I usually like to tell uh, other coaches is just when you're doing, you know, data collection or when you're reporting to coaches, um, you know, you, you're the expert. The co- a lot of the coaches aren't. So make the make it uh, make your language universal. Make it easy for a lot of these coaches to understand and not just for them, for you, but for other people around you, uh, for other like, you know, high performance staff, the general manager, uh, for the athletes. Like if everybody's on the same page, like, and understands what you're reporting, then it just makes your life a lot easier. And that was a learning experience that I learned when, when I, when I came on with the, the last club I was at with the galaxy, just like, um, I mean, I, I got advice from many of the coaches. What do you want to see? What do you want to report? But at the end of the day, we just kind of like stamped it like, hey, this is what we're going to report. This is what's easy for our like someone like our general manager to understand. So if you can do that, I mean, that's by all means, that's that's a huge win. Yeah. And then would you say it's kind of the same thing with even the players? If, if you know, if you're communicating with some players and then if the player has a conversation with you and then you guys can kind of determine, look, like yeah. this is what I this is what I think is important to me and would make me yeah. feel better about things. It's kind of the same. Yeah. Way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, like, of course I look at all the metrics that we, the, the you know, we choose to look at when uh, we're recording data, but the, like, for an example, like if, um, the like we, when I, in the last club I was at, we reported just the, uh, match volume and match intensity. So that way, you know, with say on a Wednesday, uh, when you're coming kind of midway, uh, you're kind of getting close to match day. Like you can easily just tell, you know, the coach and the athlete today you performed 70% of your previous match. The, uh, so hey, it's easy. Boom. They understand. Of course, if they want to ask questions more, then I can actually go get down to the nitty gritty on how, you know, how much they sprinted. What was their distance? How many acceleration decelerations they did? Well, I'm using the GPS so that like, that becomes a little bit yeah easier for them to explain. So again, make it universal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome, good points. Well, thanks for being on, Walter. Uh, is there uh, just wanted to maybe like a thirty second quick summary on your main points from the episode here, real quick? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, very short, sweet. Uh, if we're talking about growth and maturation, um, movement is very key in the early stages of uh, of childhood. Um, again, so if there's there's always other ways to to measure your kids. Uh, there's other ways to measure your kids' uh, height and weight. I keep it simple. I would do the Kamish Rose method. Their height, get their height, get their parents' height. Um, that way, you can be able to predict their their um, their future adult height. Um, sports science. I would say. I mean, yeah, keep it simple. If you don't have all the the fancy gadgets, session RPE is all you need, um, and the t- and the multiplying it by the time. Boom. That's sports science. Um, it just, it doesn't need to get any sexier than that. Uh, but yeah, uh, it, I guess most importantly, why do sports science? I mean, to understand the why and the what behind your training and to hold yourself accountable on what you do in your training. Awesome. Yeah. All great points and appreciate you. Thank you very much for being on. If you want to just kind of, um, say, and I'll put these in the show notes afterwards where people can, um, I know you have an Instagram account where you share some stuff is, um, so anywhere you share some content that people could follow you or contact you or learn from you, um, you want to shout that out now and then I can put that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I would say, yeah, my Twitter, uh, which is Walter underscore Grandes. I feel like I use my Twitter a little bit more for, you know, like 
for SNC Sports Science sharing information, me posting um, infographs on there. Uh, I debated about making my Instagram uh, into uh, that kind of platform, but I kind of keep it still a little bit personal. My personal is just like, you know, either food pics, me and my girlfriend with our dog and our cat. So like, yeah, they, they care about like my personal life. They can follow me there on Instagram, which is Walter I mean, dot Grandez. Um, if they want to follow me on LinkedIn, it's, it's essentially the same thing. It's just, they can look me up Walter Grandez. There's not really much Walter Grandez is out there. I'm kind of a rare name breed for say. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for being on Walter again. Appreciate all the information. All right. Matt. Thanks Patrick. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you've enjoyed the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on iTunes, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning and injury and rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on Facebook at Coach Patrick Wood, on Twitter at Coach Patty Wood, and on my website www.patrick-wood.com. All of this can be found in the show notes. Thank you for listening.